Welcome back to the Verified Athletics Podcast. We've been getting a big surge of 2020 athletes signing up to the watch list. We're now up to over 2,500 of the top high school football players accepted, where over 130 colleges go to get their recruiting information. So now is the time that colleges are building their boards for the 2020 class. So high school coaches and athletes, please get a free profile today. And also, subscribe, rate, and share. Your support means a lot to us. I know I've talked about this before, but I want to bring it up again. My friend Zach Etter wrote a book called My Mental Playbook. I've read it. I think it's fantastic. I know it can help anyone, and especially athletes, improve their mental side of the game. So Zach offered me a coupon code to our listeners for 15% off. And if you use the code VERIFIED15 at checkout, you'll get that. And with that, you can make a big positive impact on your performance for really just $20. Seems like an easy call to improve your performance for the rest of your life on and off the field. You can find the book and a bunch of other free articles at MyMentalPlaybook.com. My guest today is nobody. I had originally intended on having my friend Dan come on. Dan was at one point the world's number one rated Madden player. He turned that into a job at EA Sports where he still works today. Unfortunately, big wigs over at EA. They're afraid to let him come onto the podcast, I guess. So instead, this podcast has two themes. First, I take you through my tips for athletes and their families in the recruiting process. And second, I talk a little bit about what my process was for finding athletes as a Division One football coach. So here it is. All right, so flying solo here. And I wanted to start off by taking through what my advice would be to athletes in the recruiting process. Um, I think my advice with anything, you know, as far as people trying to get what they want is pretty simple. I didn't make this up. But the first step is to figure out what it is that you want. The second step is to figure out what's true. And then the third step is to create a plan to accomplish one in light of two, right? So how do you accomplish your goal in light of knowing what's true? So if I were to apply that to the college football recruiting process for athletes and their families, I would start off by saying that athletes need to figure out what it is that they're looking for. I think that a lot of athletes don't think that hard about that from the start um, and thus like really just aim at a pretty shallow goal, which is to play at the highest possible level. And there's nothing wrong with that as a goal, uh, but I think that it doesn't give athletes and their families and their high school coaches the room to think about a more broad goal, which is really like, I would think that athletes want to have fun and be successful in college and set themselves up to have fun and be successful after college. So what that is for different people can be a lot of different things. I mean, the the obvious ones that come up is finding a school that offers majors that you're interested in and has a proven track record of success of putting people into the job market. There's other things like, do I want to be close or far away from home? There are things like, um, do I want to play at a program where I'm going to play a lot? You know, there's that's usually in contrast to playing at the highest possible level. And for, I think a lot of athletes, they chase that dream of being at the highest possible level so much that um, they don't fully consider that being at that level and playing a lot less will actually make them far less happy. So regardless, I think that athletes really need to pause, start with figuring out what it is that they want. Then the next step, like I said, is to figure out what's true. 
And the way I would apply that to recruiting and that process for an athlete is to figure out, you know, really how desirable they are to schools in the recruiting process. And I think that that is probably the hardest thing for athletes and their parents to to look at and do and, and do honestly. Um, I think high school coaches are a bit better, but also still not great. And that's probably for a lot of different reasons. You know, the first reason I, that comes to mind is just people having a, a delusional picture of themselves or their children, right? That's totally natural and understandable. So I think like first recognizing that and, and seeing that that uh, you're susceptible to it and to, you know, really lean on the judgment of other believable people instead of just what you think for yourself uh, on evaluating like how desirable you are as a prospect is probably wise. I think a good place to start is with the assumption that um, you are, you would be very fortunate to play at any level and get an opportunity at any level that you don't already have two offers at, right? So if it's a non-scholarship school, just think of those offers as offers to play at a school. And so that means that, that like, if you called up the coaches at that school and they said, and you said, I wanted to go there, they would be excited. They'd be passing the phone around to all the different coaches, congratulating you on your choice and, and getting you to sign up and, and go, you know, that's what it means to have the opportunity to play football somewhere. So I would not, I would not think or, or make an assumption that you are destined to play at a certain level until you have at least two offers from two different schools at that level. That's like the most straightforward way to, to make sure that you're not um, getting ahead of yourself. So if you're sitting there without any offers, you should, you should consider yourself lucky to play at a Division three school. And that really goes for anyone at any age. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the most helpful advice to try to like figure out where it is that you're at. I think that that is good practical advice that you can operate on to make good decisions in the recruiting process um, that you should be paying attention to schools of all levels until you have that, that um, the, the enough opportunities in front of you where you can start to eliminate schools. Uh, I think it's just generally good advice, uh, but how to actually get a good sense of where you're at in the recruiting process. Um, I would think of it as it comes with a different, uh, a couple different levels. The first is, is there's, there's some rough ways to gauge how likely you are to be recruited at various levels based on just like empirical facts. So the first one I would start with is what year did you start as a starter on the varsity team at your high school? And then compare that to what is the track record of people at your high school that have started playing as a starter at their varsity level of your high school at that age? Um, and what have they done for college? So like, let's just say, for example, you started starting for your school when you were a junior. Um, and maybe you were like a part-time player on varsity as a sophomore, right? That's, that might be your situation. And then you, what you can do is you can look and you can say, all right, of the seniors that are graduating in the year before, the two years before me, which ones of them had that similar trajectory where they started around the same time that you did or had like a similar career at your own high school. And then look, maybe there were 10 of them that you could point to that have a similar career at your high school as you have. And you're looking at those 10 and you could say, well, six of them didn't play college football. Three of them played division three and one of them played division one. 
All right. So that's starting to give you like a, I would interpret that and say like, okay, well, there's a pretty wide range there, but the most likely scenario is that I'll be a division three type player based on that one piece of evidence. Then the next thing you could do is you can ask your high school coach uh, what their opinion is. And I suggest that anytime you ask someone for their opinion on the level that you're playing at, whether it's a high school coach or a college coach or some other recruiter, you know, recruiting type person, I would try to emphasize that you really want the most honest feedback that you can get to help you to make the best possible decisions in the recruiting process. Because a lot of coaches are likely to paint a more just a rosier picture because it's difficult to tell people the truth, especially when the truth is something that you believe that the other person doesn't really want to hear. I mean, I think everyone can recognize that in their life. And so I think you should recognize that position that you're putting someone else in when you're asking them to evaluate you in that way. And by trying to um, point them to the goal and being really open to that feedback uh, is the way that you're going to get the best feedback that'll be the most useful. I think even having said that, high school coaches on average are likely to believe that their players are better than they are. I think it's like a, it's a smaller version of the same effect of like, say, a parent, uh, where a parent is just, they love their kids, right? And a parent is going to see the best more than others, and they're going to ignore the worst more than others. I mean, on average, not all parents are like that, but a lot of them are. And high school coaches are going to be like that too with their own players. They're going to see the best a little bit more and ignore the 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 worst a little bit more. So I think that you know you should hear that uh, recommendation on where they think that you're at with a little bit of a grain of salt. And honestly, you should measure your coach's ability to even know those things based on what their experience is. You know, if you go to a high school where you send a kid to play college football, you know, once a year and, you know, it's mostly division three or then like the odds that your coach has a good perception of what a division one athlete looks like is probably, you know, not as good as if you go to a school where you send 30 kids per year to play college football and 15 of them play division one. So, so that can help you to put a value on what those coaches think. And then you can ask college coaches the same thing. And again, like they might be, they have some incentives to try to paint a rosy picture because they don't want to upset you. They don't want to upset your high school coach. They want to build good relationships. Um, so they don't want to be bearers of bad news. Uh, but I think if you try to preface your question by saying, I really just need the help, then you're going to get some honest feedback. And then the last thing to remember is, is that there, no one holds the absolute truth on how good they think someone's going to be. I mean, I point to it all the time, but Tom Brady is just an excellent example because he was drafted in, I think, the sixth round. So, you know, maybe a 10 quarterbacks were selected ahead of him in the same class. And he's one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterbacks of all time. And those are experts that are pouring over this information and are professionals at trying to predict who's going to be good and who's not going to be good that all made that mistake. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're just getting one person's opinion. That one person's opinion uh, is not nothing, but it's just an opinion. And it might not be representative of everyone's opinion. And even everyone's opinion can be wrong. Uh, it happens all the time. So I think that knowing, though, where you're at and having a good sense of how likely you are to be recruited at different levels um, 
is a good way to figure out what's true about the current state of things. And then the last thing, like I said, is to how do you make a plan to accomplish your goals um, in light of knowing, you know, how desirable you are as a recruit. So you can do things to make yourself more desirable as a recruit. I think like the the first thing that I would say is, you know, make sure you're getting good grades because um, that will be a quick way to eliminate a lot of schools and a quick way to get more schools to be able to recruit you if if you're on the border. And that border is different for every school. And so the higher your grades are, the the more likely you are to be recruited. And if you're talking about a non-scholarship school, not only are they, um, not only are you going to save a lot of money if you go there, but they're literally more likely to recruit you because they know the odds that you're going to have success there are going to be higher. So they're more likely to recruit you because you're more likely to stay in school, graduate, uh, but also you are more likely to be able to continue to afford the school all the way through. So that stuff's important. Um, after grades, you know, I'd say work on your highlight tape. The best way to work on your highlight tape is to be a better player. Um, that 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 is a longer term goal. Uh, but what you have to do is you have to study the game. You have to work on your athletic skills. You have to be a gym rat. You have to be the person that's willing to put in extra workouts. I mean, that's what it takes to to elevate your game. Then that's what you need to do, and that'll help you to create a better highlight tape to play better on the field. Um, and so showing that commitment to doing those things, I think we're going to help you and they're going to help you to perform better. And then like physically making the highlight tape, you know, I said this before and we got, ton- we got an article on this that I think all these things are good to see on the recruiting Academy that we put together, but put together a highlight tape that shows your best plays, shows them your best play first, your second best play second, and then on down to, you know, only when the plays are still great, when they stop being great you know, stop the tape because the college coach, all you're doing is you're increasing the odds that by the end of the tape, they're like, ah, this guy, I guess he's just not that good. I, you know, I got intrigued at first, but you know, I've seen enough now where I see like all the holes. So they give them a chance to only see, you know, the best sides of you and let them fill in the details um, rather than removing all doubt and showing them the things that you can't do. And then the next thing is, is start to reach out to the right colleges. So um, once you figure out what your goals are, what you're looking for, and you're recognizing what's true, then reach out to the right school. So I, I always say, like, think about the level that you think you're most likely to play at based on the things that I said, and maybe you pick five schools at that level. And then just pick a couple from all the levels above and below it and give it your shot. Um, rather than sending out a really generic email to 100 schools, pick 10 based on that criteria, five from the division you're most likely to play at and seem most likely to help you to accomplish your goals. And then two from every other division that helps you to do that as well. And reach out to them, learn about those schools, reach out to those schools, try to set up visits if it's if it's practical. If it's not practical, then try to um, get in touch with coaches by calling and emailing and making a personal touch and effort. You know, really be interested. And I think that that will increase the odds that you're going to get a conversation at least with a coach. And then uh, the other thing you need to do is, especially at scholarship schools, start to figure out who, if you're, if you're on that border between getting an offer and not getting an offer at a scholarship school, try to figure out who the decision maker is. Because a lot of times it's not the coach that's recruiting you. You know, they're the coach that's responsible for recruiting your area, but they are not the position coach or the coordinator or the head coach, which generally like those three are probably coming together to make a decision on the next running back or quarterback or whatever position you play they're going to offer. 
And so building relationships with those people make it more likely that when they're looking for to add one more offer, that it's you instead of someone else because they know you, they already like you, hopefully, and um, you know make it more likely that they're gonna that they're gonna offer you. So I think that that's pretty generic, quick advice on how to recruit or how to get recruited or or how to think about the recruiting process. As far as any like little tips and tricks that I think are valuable, um, other than maybe ones I already said, I think a good trick is on your highlight tape, if there's something that you do that's athletic that might not be showing up on your highlight tape, um, just put it on there in some other way, shape, or form. Like I say this all the time, if you can dunk a basketball or you can do a 360 dunk or you can do a backflip or you can, um, if you're an offensive lineman and like you can uh, get into some yoga pose that like most 300-pound guys can't do, like those things are are interesting, intriguing. You know, they're helpful. You know, I don't know if every college coach will look at that and be like, make an impact with them. But I think for a lot of college coaches, they're going to see it. And what they're going to do is they're going to map that picture of you doing that against players that are in their program. And if you're able to do things athletically that either like are matching what like their good players can do, or even their good players, they can't even do that thing. Then they're seeing you as being athletic enough to play at the level. So, you know, I'd say like, if, if there's something that you're really, that is really special that, that you can do that, that showcases your athleticism or your strength or whatever it is, um, even if it's not popping at a highlight tape, like just put it on there. You know, it's just, it just adds five seconds. Way better to add that than probably the next play. So that's a little trick that I think can help some athletes. You know, the last thing is try to, try to figure out what it is that you really want. And I think that that really can't be, I guess, sold enough to you. So look at the different schools that are recruiting you and figure out what it is that you like about them and then figure out what other schools has the, have those traits and then maybe you can expand the list of schools and maybe find the right school instead of the one school, the schools that find you, um, which I think a lot of athletes end up doing. That's some quick tips on, I think, the recruiting process and what, what I think people can do to make it go better. But the next topic I, I was thinking that I should touch is, you know, my process when I was recruiting, I thought that that could be helpful, maybe interesting from a story standpoint and, and talk people through how I did it. Um, I, you know, I'll start with how I did it when I coached uh, FCS, uh, 1AA at Fordham, and what my process was, how I found athletes, how I recruited them, um, you know, <laughs> maybe like the different things that happened and could happen, and then how it ultimately ended with us filling a class. And it's like personally how I did it and how I fit into how our team did it as a whole because it could be enlightening and interesting. So basically, this was, you know, a few years ago now. So the timeline on things could be a little different, especially around uh, the new signing period in December. I actually don't know that much about the new signing period, but I'm planning on having on a college coach after signing day when things get a little bit quieter for them that is coaching Division One and uh, could tell me a little bit more about how the new uh, moved forward signing day in December is impacting things. One of the ways I have actually seen that impacting things is the news cycle for college sports this year um, has been in January, uh, you know, has been so focused on transfers because the there's not as many interesting recruiting stories in January because most of the guys have already signed. And when that signing day was happening, we were still in the thick of like major college football season and bowls and all that. And so it just, it wasn't getting the news that, that uh, 
it typically got because it was getting crowded out. So it was kind of an interest, probably a totally unintentional, but probably good impact of moving forward the signing day to being in season is like the the news media attention, um, which probably makes these decisions even harder and probably less likely to be good for these top 100 type athletes, got a little bit away from the limelight, which is probably pretty helpful for them to make the best decision. But anyway, going back, uh, so what would I do? I'll start after signing day of the previous class, because even though I probably had some information on the class before then, that was like really the official start of me really focusing to the next year. So Let's just say uh, the signing day is February. It's coming up, and the 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 class signs, uh, and so I would then turn my focus to twenty twenty athletes. So, when I was coaching at Fordham, uh, my recruiting area shifted a lot uh, from year to year, uh, but more like migrated. I feel like it was never like I was uprooted and then like put into a completely new area that I'd never been to before. It was mostly like as new coaches came in and left and. Um, their areas that they understood and knew how to recruit change, like my biggest expertise on the staff, like would shift. So like, let's say when I first started at Fordham, there were myself and another coach were both from Chicago, uh, both had experience with the high schools there. And um, uh, he had Chicago and I just had like other areas that I had recruited before in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And then when he left, then that created a gap there. So I moved there because there were other coaches that could recruit Ohio and Pennsylvania. So like, so there's the areas that I recruit change over time a little bit, but mostly stay um, close to the same from year to year. So at the end, I was recruiting the Midwest. So I was recruiting Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, not really that much, but a little bit. And then, you know, over the border into into Kansas, like into Missouri and, and Kansas, um, or sorry, not Kansas, but into Missouri. So like St. Louis and stuff like that. So those are the areas that I was recruiting as my like my non-local area. And then I had uh, a local area, uh, which was like Westchester, Putnam, Dutchess counties, which are like the three counties just north of New York City, which is where Fordham was located. And then also northeastern Pennsylvania. So northeastern Pennsylvania was like, gosh, like Allentown and Wilkes-Barre and Scranton and um, the coal region, um, but basically not Philadelphia, right? So like north of Philadelphia, a lot of that area. So those were my local areas, and then I had my non-local areas. So, so the way how I worked in recruiting is I considered, like, I kind of recruited from the inside out. I think this is a popular concept. I wanted to definitely know about every athlete that could have the potential chance of playing at our level in those three counties in New York. Uh, because those that would be, like, the most painful meeting I could have in recruiting with my head coach was would be him pulling me into my office and a player signing with another school in our conference from my local area that he didn't already know about. Like we had to either have tried to get them or intentionally passed on that athlete. He'd never like, you don't want an athlete from your local area showing up on someone else's, you know, signing day list when, when uh, you didn't even mention them to your head coach uh, and to other coaches to evaluate, or like at the very least signify that, you know, for sure that they're not good enough or something like that. So, you know, it'd start by, probably like if my first move would probably be to email every high school coach in that area and see like how many of them get back to me. All I'm asking for is like, do you have anyone that I should evaluate? So I'm looking for guys that are either definitely good enough or close to good enough. Um, so I can get a rough sense of, of the area. I probably get responses from about half of the coaches in the area through that way. 
Um, then uh, my next move would be to text all the coaches that hadn't gotten back to me. So I had like this like order. I like first I would email them, see if I heard from them. Then like so, let's say I started with that. Those three counties, you're probably talking like I don't know, like seventy high schools. That's rough. So now I got like thirty five that I hear from, thirty five that I don't. And I'll go through what I did once I heard from them. So thirty five schools that I haven't heard from. Um, so I text all of those coaches. And then, you know, maybe another half of them I'd get from there. So then I'd be down to like 17 or something like that that I hadn't heard from. And then I would and then I would uh, call the coach and call the school to try to get a hold and try to figure out how to get a hold of the coach. Obviously, during this process, I learned a lot about um, I learned a lot about schools that no longer have the same head coach and either they're trying to hire someone new. I now I need to get in contact with the new guy. And so like this, this is kind of like the process that helps me to clean that up as well. And so then maybe by the end of that, there's still like seven or eight schools I, I have not heard from. And so those are the ones that are kind of like on my list of outstanding. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, and then so I get all these lists back. And so what I'm going to do is every athlete a coach sends me, I'm going to want to know what their GPA is, what their test score is, if they have one, which these guys are juniors in February of their junior year. So most of them don't have ACT or SAT scores yet, but um, some of them will. And so I'm looking at that, I'm looking at their GPA, and then I'm watching a highlight tape. And this is really just for me to get started on building a list of athletes I should recruit. Um, once I get the list, I evaluate the athletes. I would bucket them, from what I remember, I would bucket them into one of five categories. Every athlete I recruited or I watched the tape on, we get like a one, two, a three, a four, or a five. That's how I scored it. Now I have to remember how I how what what each one of them meant. I think one meant like an athlete I couldn't get. So like maybe they already have offers. If I'm at Fordham and, and they already have offers from Ohio State and Penn State and whatever it is, um, a lot of times I'd make a note of who they were and mark them down as being athletes that are I'm not going to even try to recruit because I'm not going to have a good chance of getting them. Um, that those are guys were were ones in my system. Then the next group were twos. Twos were the guys that like, you know. Obviously, I still have some things to learn, but based on what I've seen so far, I would go to the head coach and the coordinator and push for an offer. Like I thought this was someone that I'd want to offer. And then threes were guys that were not quite to that level, but players that I still definitely wanted to recruit and track and have on my radar. And then fours were guys that I evaluated and didn't think were good enough, um, but probably still like college football players. And then fives were guys that I thought weren't even like weren't people that I would have recruited when I coached division three. So that was how I ranked it out. I guess the reason why I'd separated out the fours and the fives were, you know, I had buddies that coached division three and sometimes they'd ask me about guys that, that I think that they should look at. And it was an easy way for me to send like a quick list of athletes I had looked at was not going to recruit, but um, that they might want to take a look at it. I could send them the list of all my fours. And then maybe there was like a sense of like, if a coach keeps on sending me fives, like it degrades my trust in that coach to send me the right guys so though that's the that's my initial way of separating out the athletes. Um, then what I do is I start to investigate and learn, try to learn more about those twos and threes, and build out information on them. Maybe that's by watching a little bit more tape, or maybe that is getting a copy of the transcript, or it's um, reaching out to the athletes, trying to build a relationship with them, see if I can get them to come visit the school, especially for a local guy. You know that March, like there's no reason why that March, like they couldn't drive on down and you know, make a, make a personal connection. Now at this time, like I can't call the athletes, but I can like message them on Twitter or send them an email. Um, I could talk to the high school coach and have the high school coach pass along a message. So that was pretty typical. 
around then. So I'd build a list and then I'd do the same thing in my Pennsylvania area that would come next. And then I would do the same thing in my Midwest area. The only difference being that I would not follow up with anything beyond the email, except for like I had probably a list of a hundred schools in all of those states where I would do the follow-ups with because they were the schools that were most likely to help me to find the right athlete. So like I gave every high school coach that I had the right email address on the opportunity to respond via email to like help me to take a look and evaluate their players. But I wasn't going to be able to hunt down every coach to get me their lists from, I don't know how many schools that is, probably like 2,000 schools amongst all those states. So um, to give people a sense on the numbers, like let's say in that that uh, New York area, that local area, there were 70 schools, uh, probably not the, you know, definitely not the best football, but also not the worst you know, area for football. But of those 70 schools, I probably would end up having like one or two ones, right? Guys that I probably couldn't get. I probably would have one-ish, like probably somewhere between zero and two twos. You know, probably, yeah, probably zero or one twos, guys that I would want to offer right away. And then I probably would have a list of 10 threes. And what I would do is, is I would that's how I would sell like my recruiting of those threes to them. I would tell them that like I recruit 70 schools in New York and you're in my top 10, which like to that athlete sounds great. That sounds like, oh, this school is really interested. They really want me. But it really didn't mean much because you could imagine that I'm recruiting. I have a thousand schools that I recruit. So if you're in the top 10 of these 70, that basically means that you're like, you're probably like, it just means that you're going to end up on a list of 200 or let's say like 100 athletes that I could potentially be recruiting for, you know, at the end of the year, I'll probably, we'll probably end up only offering like, say like five to 10 of them. So still like the odds that you're going to get an offer for being on that list is still really small, which I think is like probably a big part of the disconnect for athletes on where they think they're at in the recruiting process versus where they are at. You can imagine that as an athlete, you're getting a personal phone call from a coach at um, Fordham division one school. And they're saying that they like you, that you're in their top 10 for your area, maybe for your position. I might, I might literally say like, you are the only linebacker I am recruiting from, you know, my New York area, 70 schools. Like that sounds really good. Like that's, so it feels to you like you're either going to get offered by Fordham. You're going to eat immediately or eventually, or at least like you're very close. Like, so if it's not Fordham, it's at, you know, some other one double a school, let's say, or FCS school. But the truth is, is like probably out of those 10, half of them probably play, end up playing division three, maybe, maybe something like that. So I think like that, that probably was planting the wrong seed in like, and for expectations for those athletes, but, you know, probably doing that selfishly and intentionally for myself, because what I want to do is I want to start to build the connection so we can have the best chance of number one, evaluating them further. And number two, if we do ultimately want to pull the trigger and offer them, which Many times, like it would happen. I, I can think of a couple times in my career where guys from that area would end up getting getting offers. Like I remember, I was recruiting a defensive end named Brandon Weir out of Poughkeepsie, in uh, so that's like you know just uh, probably an hour's drive north from Fordham, and I left the road in the spring, or sorry, in that like in that like February or you know probably that upcoming April, and he was a three. He was like kind of like just like a guy on the list. And two things happened. The first thing is his senior year tape was better. 
So that helped him like kind of stay in the running and on the radar. He got offers from other schools in our conference, which to our head coach was a uh, something that would push him to offer an athlete. Uh, so there's some truth to that, like where one offer will help you to get more. I, I was never that big on that, but our head coach at the time, he he was a little bit more into that and um, didn't want, like more competitive, like didn't want to lose a guy. And I think it was just like a, a, a bias to like not want to miss out. So he, he didn't want to miss out. And so he would, uh, he would be more likely to offer a guy rather than like pay the price of having to play against them and have them like kick our ass for four years. I think he'd rather like, like use a scholarship. And then the last thing was, I think our, like our defensive end board fell apart at the end of the year. So like, let's say we had to bring in two defensive ends and we had four guys that we had offered and we thought we had a pretty good chance of getting. And then maybe in one weekend, like all four of those athletes fell off the list. And so now all of a sudden we needed to bring in two defensive ends and we didn't have like a lot of good candidates. And so now all of a sudden, like this guy that was like low on the list, we thought we weren't probably going to take all of a sudden jumped up and, and we were offering him. And I think what I remember was he was scheduled to visit Bucknell that weekend. And I think, Funny enough, uh, one of my buddies who I'd coached with for a few years uh, was the coach that was recruiting him at Bucknell. He was set to visit them um, in like the upcoming weekend, but we desperately wanted to offer him and and bring him up for a visit to our campus that same weekend that he had a visit scheduled to Bucknell. And I remember being in the airport. I must have been recruiting out in the Midwest, talking to other athletes that I was recruiting in that same class. I remember calling like him, his parents, the high school coach. And I got them to uh, to turn that weekend from a visit to Bucknell to a visit to Fordham. I mean, like really, at the end of the day, like that's where the athlete, that's where Brandon really wanted to go. He didn't want to go to Bucknell. Um, and you know, I, I don't know what the ethics of that should be, on like whether like once like you shouldn't cross like another coach that's recruiting an athlete. I think that that's kind of silly. I think like if you can help an athlete to get to the spot that they most want to get to whether that's your school or someone else's school, I think that that's what you should try to do. So anyway, uh, get him to change and he ends up coming and visiting Fordham that weekend and committing that weekend. So he never never made it up to Bucknell. So anyway, so that was a side story of um, recruiting that local area and, and guys that start off low on the list that end up becoming players that we end up taking. But for every story like that, I could there's probably like nine or 10 other ones that... Uh, that where it's just an athlete that falls off and we never offer and just become less and less interested in and push them, you know, towards other schools more and more as the process goes on. So anyway, so like these athletes, like they think that they're getting highly recruited by us, but really like they're just a guy on the list. So we're trying to keep them on the list and give them that, that impression so that, like I said, that we can keep them alive for the end and also um, try to get them to come to like our camp in the summer, which will allow us to give a really good evaluation, which most likely will eliminate them, um, but has a chance of elevating them from being like a guy on a list to like either an offer or close to an offer. And I've had that happen too. I remember I was recruiting an athlete who was from a school in Philadelphia, but was spending going to go for a PG year at a Wyoming seminary. And he was just a guy that like, I think we like started to try to maybe recruit him at the end of his senior year. I was very close, but like the day after like his tape got to my hands to like play corner, we got a commitment from another athlete. So we ended up moving on to, we, we, you know, didn't take him. He ended up going to a PG year. So, and then he moved into my area and I had probably, I didn't even like really make the connection and I just knew we were recruiting him. And he was a guy that 
was like a three, like I said, like a guy on the list, you know, to just track and, you know, recruit. Um, but it got him to come to the camp and he comes to the camp. He runs like blazing fast 40. He's like so athletic, very quick. And we offered him, you know, that day, you know, I don't know how NCAA legal that is, but you know, like he, he knew he had an offer from us um, that day and um, he ends up committing and coming to Fordham and so like that, those stories do happen again. But again, like what like I'm saying is, is that for every one of those, there were 10 like other local guys that I said, come to the camp, you know, we want to evaluate you. Um, you're close, you know, or not, I don't know if I would say you're close to an offer, but I would say like, this is the thing that's going to push you from where you are to being a place where you could add an offer. You know, most of the other guys, they come and they kind of were what we thought they were. They're, they're not guys that we're going to end up offering most likely, you know, they're kind of like staying down at the bottom of the list. So that's so that's like the two three four dynamic and then like you know I'm like I said I'm also recruiting these athletes out in Chicago and Detroit and Indianapolis and and um again just putting them on that that list so then the next step is I am going to grab all of like my top guys and I'm going to start to show them around to the coaches that recruit that or that coach that position the coordinators and then they're going to start to rank them against all their guys across the country they're going to rank them against the other guys that they're, you know, from, from all the other coaches. And then I'm going to get like a, a little bit of feedback. Like I'm, they might be like the top guy on my list. I might think they're worthy of an offer. Uh, but now I'm like learning that, oh, well, when you compared that corner from Indiana to every corner in the country, like now they're actually 10th on the list for our school and the odds that they're going to, we're going to get to 10 are not that high, but you know, I'm going to keep on like track of them just in case, keep them alive but probably going to get a lot less of my attention. So, you know, that that's probably like that piece of it there. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to like stop here and, and uh, give you guys, my audience, a chance to react. And I want, what I want to do is help you guys and hopefully provide you guys interesting stories and, and um, helpful advice and just uh, keep you guys informed and entertained. So, if there's anything we could do to do that better job of that, you know, shoot me a note. Love to hear it. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. And let me know what you think. I decided to do something different this time. Um, I left it a little bit shorter to get a reaction from you guys. Let me know, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like, what would be better. Um, should I do another solo podcast? Uh, should I do an ask me anything podcast? And you can give me some feedback. So, one way to do that is sending me an email directly at nate at verifiedathletics.com. Or you can just go to our contact us page on our website, verifiedathletics.com, and tell me what you like and what you didn't. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast or articles on the Recruiting Academy, please share it. See you next time.